0: today we're talking about the Vitamin and Mineral Supplementation and Pregnancy Ranscog Guideline, uh, COBS25. So this guideline was uh, reviewed in November 2019, or published in November 2019, uh, and it has a few changes from the previous guideline. Uh, So we'll go through the basic recommendations. So, the first recommendation, uh, recommendation one, uh, refers to folic acid, uh, and it says that it should be taken for at least one month before conception and in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. So, that one's a pretty bread and butter one. Uh, In New Zealand, we use 0.8 milligrams for uh, a low-risk pregnancy, and 5 milligrams for anybody with a BMI over 30 previous neural tube defects diabetes or risk of malabsorption
1: and in patients taking anticonvulsant medication yes uh,
0: so that is recommendation two covered uh, and recommendation three uh, vegetarian and vegan diets should be supplemented with vitamin b12 during pregnancy and lactation um, what's the best way to have b12
1: i am injection i think
0: uh, so, and the rationale for that is that B12 deficiency has been recorded, reported to cause neurological sequelae in exclusively breastfed infants. Right, recommendation four, uh, and this is a, I remember this being a quite a big change to the previous one, was to say do not test vitamin D levels in pregnancy as part of routine pregnancy screening, uh, regardless of maternal risk factors. And from memory, it used to get you to do a test, and then you'd give replacement based on different levels. That's right. So this certainly simplifies that a lot.
1: Definitely, just don't test.
0: Yeah, and that's recommendation five. Do not retest vitamin D in pregnancy, irrespective of previous levels. And then it tries to keep things simple. Recommendation six, advise all pregnant women, irrespective of their skin pigment and or sun exposure, to take 400 international units of vitamin D daily during pregnancy as part of a multivitamin supplement. So what they're saying is that in addition to folic acid and iodine, which everybody should be having, that vitamin D is a routine uh, pregnancy vitamin. That's
1: right. So now there's three. Yeah.
0: yeah, And to take it, but but rather than taking it as a single preparation, to take it as part of a multivitamin supplement.
1: Yes. So we've done a little bit of research into which multivitamin supplements contain vitamin D. And it looks like, We can only prescribe medications or vitamin supplements that women have to pay for. Um, There is no funded option in New Zealand. The only one that possibly might work um, is a renal multivitamin. So a, a multivitamin that is prescribed usually for renal patients because all the other ones that are funded also contain vitamin A, which we will get to later.
0: So I had to look for ones that you can pay for. Most people will have heard of Elevit, uh, and I kind of did a breakdown of what these cost and what they include. So Elevate's one option. There's also Blackmore's Gold, Suisse, and Go Healthy. Um, per 100 days, Elevit is $84. Uh, this is all through like a discount chemist, so these will be probably the best, I assume, the best prices you could find. Um, so it's $84 for Elevit, for Blackmores, $53, Suisse, $30, and Go Healthy, 38 Uh They all contain the uh, adequate... Iod- oh, sorry, no, Suisse doesn't. But the other- So Elevit, Blackmores, and Go Healthy all have enough iodine, so you can skip your other iodine tablet. Elevit has the New Zealand recommendation of 800 micrograms of folic acid, whereas the others don't, so you'd still need to take an additional folic acid tablet to top that off. They all include adequate vitamin D. Interestingly, Elevit has the lowest at 500, which is still enough um, per the guideline. Uh, Blackmore says 720, you Go Healthy has 1,000. Uh, they all contain some iron, but not a lot. Elevit contains a lot more than the others. Elevit has 60 milligrams, the others have five. Um, and then in terms of the omega-3 and DHA, which are thought to be important with brain development and DHA, especially with reducing risk of preterm birth, Uh, Elevit doesn't have that at all. They sell a separate preparation called Elevit DHA, which has 200 milligrams of DHA, which is not enough to reduce the risk of preterm birth from the evidence that's available. Um, And that's $54 for 100 days. The others contain, well, Blackmores 250, Suisse 125. Go Healthy has 600, so it's loaded with it. Um, and the Blackmores and Go Healthy also have Omega-3 in them. So it's I wouldn't say that there's a clear winner uh, from these ones. <laughs> um, I think I'd still be trying to work out exactly which one is going to give you best bang for buck and give you all the vitamins that you're after. The problem with all these is that they don't all necessarily, I mean, there's differences in quality. And also certainly with the DHA and I think the Omega-3, that nobody really knows which ones are kind of the most effective or or all the research that's done from them are done overseas with different preparations. So it's certainly an unknown, I guess, the benefit of those. So they probably shouldn't go too much into um, working out any recommendation about what you might use. But those are the options that we're aware of mm-hmm. that would be compatible with this guideline. And it's a shame that we don't have an obvious subsidized pregnancy multivitamin.
1: And the, I mean, the renal uh, multivitamin does contain iron. It contains 400 mics of folic acid. So um, not enough. It contains uh, some colicalciferol as well. Um, but it is on a special authority. So it would only be available for renal patients anyway, I would imagine, having oh, not looked yeah. at the special authority page. <laughs> yeah. um, and it also doesn't contain any iodine. So again, no, we'll be sorry. looking at topping up whatever we're topping up. So essentially, we don't have a good answer. Um, and I would imagine if you're looking after your patient but also wanting to look after their wallet, iodine, well, folic acid pre-pregnancy, and then needing iodine and the... Um, vitamin D from when they get pregnant, they could always be on a funded prescription pre-pregnancy. So however long that takes, it doesn't really matter because it's funded um, and then swap to something that they have to pay for. So again, not great for inequity and poverty, Mm -hmm. but that's the recommendation from Ranscog.
0: Yeah. I suppose if you were to just go, you you can alternatively just give vitamin D itself as colicalciferol. Um, and so from the previous guideline, the way they'd suggested that was with a loading dose of two tablets of 1.25 milligrams cholecalciferol, followed by monthly 1.25 milligram. And they have 40,000 units per dose. So that could at least be done in a funded way. But the bottom line is, think vitamin D supplementation, but don't measure it.
1: Um, recommendation seven is to advise women about safe sun exposure and that ties into the fact that vitamin d levels are um, increased with sun exposure but the flip side to that is that we live in new zealand and there are multiple harms associated with sun exposure as well
0: yeah i've seen it actually come across a few uh, cervical melanomas this year and a small bowel melanoma I don't know how you avoid the small bowel one, but mm. well, the cervical one, to be honest. But- <laughs> it's that perineum sunning, is Yeah, it? scary stuff. Recommendation eight, and this was a, kind of a surprise to both of us so we hadn't really noticed this one um, when looking at the guideline before. Exclusively breastfed infants should be given 400 international units daily of vitamin D for at least the first six months of life. And then it says infants on full formula feeds do not routinely require supplementation. So that's a bit controversial for the adage that breast milk contains everything you possibly need and it's the best in every way.
1: Uh, And so just, again, just trying to uh, see how this is possible. Um, There is a, um, a liquid, an oral liquid, that contains vitamin D, called puria vitamin d it's subsidized uh, and one drop is 10 micrograms which is also 400 units so breastfed babies would require one drop of this vitamin d oral liquid that i had not heard of before today
0: now we haven't we're not experts on this and we haven't read through the references but looking at the titles of the references they seem to refer to preventing neonatal rickets so it doesn't seem like that's a massive problem in New Zealand,
1: and the the guideline does say that maternal antenatal vitamin D supplementation has been shown to increase maternal and cord blood levels of vitamin D, so that's great for your blood levels, but does not improve maternal obstetric outcomes, i.e., what really matters. Does not improve infant vitamin D levels at three, six, or twelve months. Again what matters, does not improve neonatal measures of bone density at two weeks, but is associated with an approximately 20% reduction in the rate of childhood wheezing at three years, uh, which is regardless of the maternal vitamin D level, but not a reduction in other respiratory outcomes. So I guess uh, on balance, particularly if you're looking at Um, how important the vitamin D level is or the vitamin D supplementation is definitely recommended uh, and that those are the reasons why.
0: Yeah. There's not a lot of actual discussion or um, explanation for how these consensus recommendations were made. Um, But yeah, that is the advice.
1: So recommendation nine, moving on to a different vitamin, vitamin K should be administered in late pregnancy to women with proven cholestasis of pregnancy due to reduced vitamin K absorption.
0: Yeah, and this one's a funny one because we neither of us have seen this happen uh, often. I don't think it's part of any guidelines of the places I've worked. Um, and of course, we still see routine use of IERSO for cholestasis, even though there's quite compelling evidence that it doesn't seem to do anything, at least not in terms of outcomes. So. It's probably a reminder to certainly think about vitamin K uh, supplementation for women with cholestidasis. I think from another guideline I've looked at, they're kind of referring to the last four weeks of pregnancy. So probably around the time that you're...
1: In bleeding risk. I mean, I have seen it used when the INR becomes abnormal. um, And I guess that's... Often the
0: LFTs are off at that stage as well. Um, But I guess the problem is that we also don't see infants with bleeding problems um so i'm sure that they do happen and anybody working in neonates you know, would probably really endorse this statement so it's definitely a real thing um and it probably doesn't hurt to add some vitamin k late in the pregnancy so that's for women with cholestasis
1: So this next one is not a recommendation, but just more of a statement. There's little evidence to support routine supplementation of other vitamins in pregnancy, such as A, C, and E, um, and excessive quantities of fat-soluble vitamins may be harmful. In particular, vitamin A supplementation is contraindicated in pregnancy, and so that's why when going through the the other multivitamins, um, some of them have to be uh, excluded because of their vitamin A um, ingredient and just flicking back to the other uh, b group vitamins they are recommended as part of a multivitamin um, and this is because of uh, hyperhomocysteinemia being the commonest of the thrombophilias and the fact that we don't actually screen for this condition so all women could have should have an adequate intake of these vitamins and the easiest way to do that is through a multivitamin
0: all right, so those are all vitamins. This next section is minerals. So iron is the first mineral listed. Uh recommendation ten. Routine iron supplementation is not recommended in every pregnancy, even though it seems like pretty much every pregnancy <laughs> needs it. It's at least an elevate, but there's not really any you know, only five milligrams in the other of the multivitamins that we've mentioned. Uh it does say that all women should have the hemoglobin level checked at the first antenatal visit and again at twenty-eight weeks. And I certainly add on a ferritin for booking bloods, and I think a lot of people do. Um, it's much easier and important to treat earlier rather than later.
1: I guess at booking it's important to try and use that time to tease out women with a thalassemia or other reasons for an anemia, but beyond that, any iron deficiency should be treated and I think um in women who are vegetarian or who have a multiple pregnancy, that might be uh, more pertinent and probably earlier, and possibly even at booking.
0: What iron tablet do you prescribe?
1: fumarate two hundred B daily yeah. or BD. Okay. How about you?
0: Um, I, well, the Ferro F tab contains more iron. Um, it also has some like homeopathic dose of folic acid in it. Um, but it's also subsidised. So yeah, the, I think yeah, the Ferro tab or the Ferro F tab uh, are both. Does Vera
1: F contain vitamin C, or is that?
0: No, no. So there are other ones I think you can pay for that are not subsidized. So vitamin C is supposed to increase the absorption. Um, The weird thing with iron, of course, is that taking tablets decreases your transferrin receptors and reduces your ability to actually absorb iron. And there's some interesting pharmacokinetic studies on this um, that actually support the practice of alternate daily dosing of oral iron, um, you seem to basically absorb the same amount uh, by taking it every other day um, with a reduction in the GI side effects.
1: That's so, right. And a lot of women end up taking it every other day just yeah, because of the GI side yeah. effects. And I think that's
0: quite good just to say that, yeah, yeah if it's causing side effects and women are, feel they stop taking it because of that, you can always, I mean, I've heard that it's awful and by all means, don't push it if it's really bad. But if it's just kind of like, a, oh, well, because I can't take it every day, I've stopped completely you think you can actually say, well, actually taking it every few days, every other day, every few days, is actually still really beneficial and would be a good thing to try. Um, Personally, when I prescribe it first time and I've got the time to explain, I do routinely prescribe it on alternating days. But if somebody's already happily taking it once a day, I don't go changing that.
1: Moving on to our next mineral, calcium. Uh, Recommendation 11. The recommended dietary intake of calcium per day for pregnant women is 1,300 milligrams aged 14 to 18 years and 1,000 milligrams aged 19 to 50. So the majority of our women will be age 19 to 50. If the woman avoids dairy in her usual diet and does not consume alternative high calcium foods, she should take a calcium supplementation of at least 1,000 milligrams per day.
0: So in order to get one thousand milligrams you need to take one point two two tablets of one point two five milligram grams yeah uh, calcium grams. carbonate so that's what I prescribe for preeclampsia prevention along with aspirin uh yeah so and just divide that over the day so one point two five grams calcium carbonate p d Yeah, yeah. (laughs) These things are so confusing. (laughs) They've got always got two different weights.
1: The equivalent. Yeah, yeah. The actual tablet and its equivalent. Iron's the same, hey. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, and so this is, uh, I guess, why we should be taking the time to ask women about their dietary choices. So lactose intolerant women or vegan women. Um, these are issues that. Uh, easy to forget or leave to the end of an appointment um, so it's important that we ask and then we can supplement if necessary occasionally women may themselves already be taking calcium enriched and um, various other like oat milk or soy milk but it's important yeah. to ask
0: I would say that this guideline is probably I would think fairly understandable like from a patient perspective I don't I mean we're not I don't think we're, we're yeah, you know, we're not nutritionists and <laughs> I feel like a lot of this goes over my head, but I can understand what's written in this guideline. So perhaps if you didn't have the time, you could always suggest actually looking at this guideline to the woman. And they can yeah, you know, read the stuff for themselves. I think the the main thing is just that it doesn't actually kind of translate this to what do you actually prescribe? You know, what's the actual practical thing? It would be nice to word? have a bullet point. Trying to cover. Yeah.
1: These are the five things. Yeah. Well, we, dose.
0: we'll try to pop that into the show notes from what we can can uh, conclude. So then under uh so right, so there's no evidence to support routine supplementation of other minerals such as magnesium, zinc, or rare minerals.
1: And we've already talked about iodines, so that's recommendation twelve, women who are pregnant, breastfeeding, or considering pregnancy. Should take an iodine supplement of 150 micrograms each day, um, and iodine deficiency at the moment seems to be increasing in frequency, and it's possibly because everyone's using fancy salt that's not iodized. Mm. But I have noticed now that you can buy rock salt in the supermarket, so fancy rock salt, but it is also iodized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good that's a good change. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I saw in the latest PMMRC uh, that uh, you know. Uh, what is it? Report that's just come out that they've made a, another kind of plea to mandate folate fortification of bread because two thirds of pregnancies occur unplanned. Um, so that is the normal way to conceive. So everybody's not necessarily taking folic acid. That's right. And
1: iodine. And iodine. They you become pregnant. Put it in the food, put so, fluoride yeah, in the water, yeah, but we won't yeah, go into that. Yeah, yeah.
0: But anyway, you keep it simple. You're either on contraception or folic acid and iodine and a pregnancy <laughs> multivitamin that doesn't have vitamin A. <laughs> All right. That's it. Is it? No, omega-3.
1: That's it for the recommendations. Omega-3, they've got a good practice point here. So women whose dietary intake of omega-3 fatty acids is low. For example, those who eat very little seafood should consider a dietary supplementation which may be obtained from fish oil and some commercially available pregnancy supplements.
0: Now, the Ranskog ASM, I can't remember who, but somebody, an expert on these subjects, was saying that a low dietary intake of fish oil is less than two to three serves of fish a week. Wow, that seems am like on lot a low of fish So I think that unless low fish diet. somebody in your house is a really keen fisher uh, and you're eating fish every other day, then you probably should be on omega-3. Mm. Um, the next question, of course, is that if you are vegetarian or vegan, how do you obtain these things? And there are some algae-based ones, and they're the ones I guess to look out for, but you have to do your own research.
1: Mm. And they won't be funded. Of course not. <laughs> They're just <laughs> recommendations. All right.
0: Uh, if, ever, if, yeah, if anybody else does anything else routinely to try to comply with these guidelines um, or thinks that there's something missing or can give her any other suggestions of things to prescribe, please let us know
1: and we can add it to another show. Great. Thanks very much.